It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily, the only daily podcast that focuses exclusively on the Premier League, although uh, there's not been much Premier League action going on because there has been an international break. However, we do have some Premier League news, but we are going to focus on the internationals that have been taking place, that have brought this break around. And we're starting with an absolute thrashing. England beating San Marino, an incredible 10-0 and apologies to anybody listening in the United States but that last time they had that bigger victory it was in 1964 against the USA to help me go over that game and all the other news we're going to look at today I'm joined by two different United fans uh, both in the north one a big fan of Manchester United it's Joel Tudor morning guys morning guys the bigger club of course yes and uh, they may have more deals, they may have more superstars at the moment, but that could all change by the end of January when Newcastle United take over the world, making Marley Anderson the happiest man on this podcast. Yeah, looking forward to uh, knocking Joel off his perch of the uh, the biggest United in the world. Um, <laughs> and Paul Dummett will lead that revolution, so bring it on. <laughs> so... The game last night, it was a game that England needed just a point in, and well, they went a lot further than that. 10-0. Harry Kane getting a consecutive hat-trick, the first England player to score four since 1993. Do either of you remember who the last one was? Uh, Ian Wright, wasn't it? Yeah, against? Against San Marino. (laughs) Yeah, you can always count on San Marino. To add a few goals to it. Well, I actually, I actually found that out because I was on my favorite Wikipedia page yesterday, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you, you know," because we mentioned the the one goal they scored in uh, yes. after eight seconds against David Seaman. So I was looking at the final score. Obviously, you said it was seven one, um, and it was it popped up being right four goals, and I think Paul Ince got two as well. So, yeah, good old game. Yeah, that show's still available if you missed it, and also check out our social media for a link to that. Wikipedia page as well. Uh, Emil Smith Rowe scored on his full debut. Uh, he's been labelled the Croydon De Bruyne. 
uh, which, to be honest, is too many Y's and N's for me to be confident in spelling it right. Harry Maguire scored first again, but toned down his celebrations. There's so many good things happening in this game. I know there'll be question marks about the opposition, those kinds of things. We'll come to those in a moment. But Joel, first of all, what is the standout for you from that game? I just want to say as a side note, do you ever feel that feeling when you watch San Marino of what I wish I could just have San Marino citizenship so I could just play against these players and hopefully maybe get a deal <laughs> to some Serie seaside or something? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like looking at them thinking they're living out my dreams so much. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think that you've got two options. You either move there for five years or potentially you see if you can find somebody that will claim to be a grandparent of yours. Listen, if there's any if there's any older folks in San Marino listening to this, I'm available. I can, you know, I can mow the lawn or something and then hopefully I'll do your country proud on the international stage and get one shot on target. Anyway, we're not here to talk about San Marino. Let's talk about the England performance. Lots of praise, lots of great things, lots of highlights. Let's look at those before we start to unpick if this really counts because it was only San Marino. What was the standout performance for you? Um, I think for me, just in terms of individuals, would probably just be Harry Kane, just because you know before this international break, he's been heavily criticised, heavily talked about. He had one goal in the Premier League. Um, he was just heavily under the eye, and he has been since this Manchester City deal kind of broke down, really. And I think, you know, regardless of the opponent, obviously San Marino is kind of a given that you're going to win. It's just a kind of matter of making sure you score more than four to not look like you're a bad side, really. Um, but, you know, scoring back-to-back hat-trick is only going to do a, me- uh, mentally great things for him. He, re- I think he really, really needed that boost in his season just because at Tottenham it just seems like it's a flatline heart monitor where nothing seems to be going up at the moment for him um, and I think I, I think he sees England as a bit of an escapism um, where you know he's away from that constant pressure at Tottenham of his future and how many goals he's scoring so I think he needed that regardless of the opponent I think a goal always gives you that confidence as a striker to kind of push on but yeah, in terms of the game, I mean, it just reminded me of back in school when I was in year seven and playing against the year 11s. I mean, you've always got a chance because you've got two legs, but they're always bigger and stronger and they're going to bully you either way. Um, but again, you know, it's the lowest ranked side in the world, 210th. Interesting fact is that they were 118th in 1993. So, you know, their golden generation, they did have one. They won as much as um, our golden generation. So... You can put give them that the plaudits <laughs> on that one, um, but you know we go into. I think after this, and judging from the other results in the other groups, I go into it a lot more confident into Qatar, just because it's never a given that you're going to completely clean slate your way through a group, as we've seen with Portugal, as we've seen with Italy. Um, it's never a given that you're always going to top the group. You still need to go about your job professionally, and. I think we're benefiting a lot from the fact that there's been a massive shift in the dominance in club football where the Spanish teams are no longer dominating anymore in Europe. The Italian leagues and uh, the Italian sides are no longer dominating. It's mainly now a given that an English side will probably make it to the semi-finals of the Champions League or the finals. And in a lot of these sides now, majority of the English players are the talismans of their sides. 
And I think that's only better benefiting uh, Southgate's selection. I, I think it's probably one of the best sides we've had since, I'd say, 2004. Um, and I think it's pro- I'd probably go one better and say it is better just because there's not clicks in the group anymore. There's not this intense rivalry from the league anymore. They're all a collective when they go. They all seem to enjoy being on the international front, whereas before it seemed like a chore for them. Um, and I think that can only benefit Southgate going forward. But, you know, it was a very convincing win. It was always going to happen. 10 nil is always impressive, no matter who you play against. Um, and, you know, San Marino are always there to make up the numbers. But fair play to them. They give it a go. They work hard. They're not just there. Well, yeah, they are there to make up the numbers, but they're not just there to just stand around. They still give it a go. Fair play to them. Uh, but it was a very professional performance for England. And um, it gives me a lot of confidence going into Qatar next year. Yeah, I did feel for San Marino uh, when they went down just 10 men with about 20, 35 minutes left to go. Uh, they had the same expression on their faces as my five-a-side team last night as well. Uh, <laughs> Not a good one then. <laughs> no. Uh, from what Joel's saying there, Marley, um, should I book an appointment for all three of us just before Christmas next year to get our World Cup winner tattoos? <laughs> Yeah, possibly. Um, if San Marino are there, yeah, maybe. But that's never going to happen. So uh, I don't know. It, we, we're definitely one of the contenders for the um, f- to to go all the way. You know, the, the the side's good enough. I just think in in Qatar, it's such a weird. Um, there's a lot of weird things about it. You know, the fact that it's in December, the fact that it's in uh, a boiling hot country, in you know a, a place where no one's really played football before. Um, is going to play a big factor in how the tournament plays out. I'm not sure it really suits um, an English squad who's used to playing in 10, 11, 12 degrees um, and then goes to, to Qatar in December and it's still 28 and you, you're roasting and everything like that. It's just a weird culture shock. But um, on in terms of talent, you know, there, there aren't many squads that are better than England um, and it's whether Southgate can can sort of knit that harmony like together for long enough to, to go the whole way because they got to the final of the Euros, you know, um, only just got squeaked out by, by Italy, were one nil up within two or three minutes or whatever it was. So they have the talent and it's there. They just need to get used to being one of the big boys because that's why the big boys are the big boys. They they used to um, to get into the last stages of, of major tournaments in England, aren't they? haven't been... To final of a major tournament before the Euros since the um, since the World Cup in '66. So you're talking a hell of a long time. No one's really used to it, but now they've got to this the uh, semis of the the Nations League and then the final of the Euros. So why not try and go one better in the biggest one of the of the uh, of the lot? My favourite thing I think from the game last night. I don't know if you saw this, but the scoreboard that they had at the ground, <laughs> um, the way they were putting the scores on. Uh, they were literally listing them one after the other, top to bottom. And rather than saying Kane and then next to him, the minutes that he scored in, they put Kane, then underneath Kane again, then Kane again. <laughs> and by the end of the game, they'd almost run out of room on the board. And I just had an image of uh, some young guy in the uh, control room trying to change the font and the size to try and fit all the scorers on. <laughs> um, I mean, ha- Harry Kane has had a lot of criticism. And yet... He finishes this year scoring 16 goals for his country. That's that's not that's not the performance of somebody who's broken, irrespective of the opposition. 
that is that, that is somebody who is worth would you say that is the performance of someone that is worth a hundred million joe honestly i in terms of the international stage i have a lot of respect for kane because when you go back in history all of the amazing english players that have played in the biggest tournaments and they've totally flopped and not come out of the shell i could name so so many Kane's been one where he's always stood up in major tournaments and he's, I think in the World Cup he was the top scorer, wasn't he, with five goals. I mean, you shouldn't take that lightly for an England player to turn up for his country in an international tournament is quite rare, especially ones where they're continuously being really impressive in the Premier League. Um, I I think one namely one would be Rooney, um, apart from the Euro 2006 he never really showed up in any big tournament, despite the fact that for United he was obviously one of the best players we've ever had. The Premier League's, <clears throat> excuse me, the Premier League's one of the best players uh, in the Premier League ever as well. So Kane is a player who is always going to show up for his country no matter what and come up with the goals, and it's so underrated. Um, and I've just checked the the goal scoring all time sheet for England, and he's just overtook Gary Lineker. I think he's on forty eight or forty nine now. Um, I think he's five off Rooney's record, which definitely will be broken by this time next year, I'm sure. Um, and that's a, that's a huge feat. I mean, he's only 28. He could end up smashing that record by the time he gets to 32, 33 onwards. Um, and so I think you've got to give the plaudits to him. He's, 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 he's just a striker who now just needs honours to his name to get that true respect that he probably deserves especially given the amount of goals that he's returned for Tottenham. I mean, at least with Shearer, he actually managed to get a Premier League title to his name, not with Newcastle, um, but it was at least... Don't, don't rub it in, Mali, Mali's not in a good mood this morning. <laughs> so you, you snuck that one in there. <laughs> Sorry, it was, it was yeah. like a dagger to the heart. That was slightly I apologize. unnecessary, but yeah, all right. I, I, I have to say, actually, I feel quite proud that Joel's only been with us for a little while, but he's already you know figured out how we do things around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, you, we're the North ones, we have to, we have to continue that, uh, that little rivalry. Um, but no, I mean, Shearer, at least with Shearer, you know, he returned 260 Premier League goals and at least he had something to show for it as well. Goals are goals and they're nice, but without returning an honour, it doesn't really mean too much. And I think Kane realises that he's in the twilight of his career and he's in the, the prime of his career. And if he was to, for example, win a World Cup for England... Honestly, I don't think he would even care about club honours at that point. I don't think I would. The World Cup is the pinnacle of football for me. And considering he always, always contributes in major tournaments, despite the fact that, you know, in the Euros at times, he kind of went missing, um, didn't get too much supply. He was very congested at times. He still come up with the goals. And that's all you want from a striker. Um, So I think it's only a good thing for him now that instead of letting this club situation of, you know, am I going to City? Am I going, am I staying at Tottenham? He needs to just focus on what's it, what's ahead and what's in his control right now. And that is getting himself back into form, finding his shooting boots again, which is going to give him that good consistency on the way to Qatar because he's going to need it. Um, but I was just thinking then what Marley just said, that, you know, the English clubs may not be able to, you know, it's going to be a disruption in terms of going out in December. A question to both of you would be that, Every other European league has a break for a month over Christmas. So do you not think that the English league and the English national side probably stand in better stead because it's not really a disruption to what they're used to? 
Uh, could it not make them go into it a bit fresher though, if they still sneak that break in? I don't know what I don't know what the plans are around Europe. To be fair, um, about still having this break or or squeezing it in or or playing through it, but um, I don't know. Maybe it, it'd be it'd be the typical English thing if we if we had the most natural advantage and still managed to balls it up somewhere. So <laughs> I'm not really not really hoping, <laughs> of course, holding out too much hope for that. To be honest. I think it's all part of a major conspiracy by the uh, the other the clubs and the other organisations. And what they've been doing <clears throat> is whenever they've had this winter break, they've all been going on holiday to Qatar to climatise and so that when they come round to the World Cup, they'll be in much better form and better prepared for it. But that's just me. Uh, so we mentioned Kane there. Kane, one of three players last night that are pretty much uh, guaranteed to start in, in most England internationals, Phillips in midfield and Maguire at the back, who popped up with another goal, and a significantly different, or toned down, shall we say, celebration when he did get his goal. Uh, we saw a, a first start for Smithrow, who got a goal. Uh, Ramsdale started in goal as well, um, although, to be fair, it's not really a fair test of his ability. I think they had one shot, was that... Um, which, if you go try and find it on the highlights, you won't, because there's so many goals on there, and uh, they just. I did wonder at one point actually. There were so many goals. If on the highlights reel they would just go, well, you know, you, you don't need to see this anymore. Uh, we'll, we'll just we'll, we just haven't got time to get all the goals on. Out of all those uh, players that we saw, and it was a it was a different lineup to what we saw, particularly if you compare it to the last game they had in the European Championships from the. This fringe players, shall we say, was there anybody that stood out for you? Obviously, uh, Gallagher uh, joined the squad late, uh, came on, hit the post towards the end. He was unlucky not to uh, get a goal. Tammy Abraham got one as well. Who stood out to you, Mali? Uh, I thought Saka um, was really, really bright. You know, it's it's kind of his game suits. Um, playing against a guy who's basically a semi-pro because he's he's really quick he's like 19 20 so he's got boundless energy um he's in probably the, the best form of his of his career so far he's, he's properly sort of on the on the up and you're thinking if you're the San Marino right back like Jesus Christ I'm gonna have a, a tough time here um and no less than five or six times he turned him inside out um, found the uh, found the sort of cross come shot for the uh, for the own goal, um, got himself a goal, the tenth at the end, and uh, thought he was really good. His delivery was decent from the from the left hand side. He had loads of space with the with the wing back um, formation, which helped uh, which helped England sort of stay really really high in in San Marino's half uh, all the time and win the ball back high. Um, well, that was when Sir San Marino got it with the fifteen percent possession, like. But um, yes, yeah, I thought Saka was really good. I thought Smith Rowe. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to judge it, of course, because San Marino are, are are awful. But yes, uh, Smith Rowe was decent. So I thought Tammy Abraham took his goal brilliantly. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold's quality was just far too much for a, for an unorganized semi-pro defense who were just trying to sort of batten down the hatches and and try and keep it from being ten. Uh, but his delivery was too good, um, and everyone else basically. Every there was no negatives to that performance. Um, only uh, I think the only thing I noticed from it that I probably didn't want to see was the the referee um, 
just making sure everything went exactly by the book, like with with the uh, the handball from Foden's bicycle kick, like it barely brushed his fingernail, didn't affect the uh, the the shot because it was going wide anyway. And he was like, "Nope, penalty." Like that's the rules. And then even even for the drag back on uh, on Conor Gallagher to send the lad off, like it's six nil and there's twenty minutes to go. Just just leave him on the pitch. Like no one's really bothered. Um, they're already in massive trouble. So I would have liked to see a little bit more leniency with that. But that's it, really. Um, we move on. It's done now. We've now got a few pointless friendlies before uh, Qatar next year. So we'll see how it all goes. Uh, good news for anybody listening from San Marino. We've just been contacted by the embassy and they're willing to have a meeting with Joel Tudor following his earlier comments. So uh, <laughs> uh, he, he may turn up doing a job for them or, to be honest, maybe possibly make things worse. We're going to leave that there for The now. negotiations will slow down when he asks him to pay for the flight as well. <laughs> uh, um We'll leave that there for now and uh, we'll come back in a moment where we'll be looking at some news which will not be welcomed particularly by West Ham fans who are planning a trip uh, away to Austria next week. Football Social Daily from the Sports Social Network. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. I'm Ant McGinley. Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson joining me. We've already looked at England's performance in the World Cup qualifiers last night and now we turn our attention back to the Premier League and, well, technically the Europa League. West Ham doing very well there, doing very well in the Premier League as well, uh, getting plaudits from all over the place. However, last night news broke that they have been banned from sending fans to next week's Europa League match against Rapid Vienna. This comes uh, following uh, objects being thrown in the away match during uh, Genk. Uh, the club was only informed uh, late yesterday, which will mean that some fans who've arranged independent travel and flights, not going with the club, are going to lose out on that. Now, my first thought on this, Joel, is how quickly the authorities act to come down on this sort of behaviour compared to some of those other, well, let's just, you know, say what it is, that those racist incidents that we've seen in other countries that they seem to ignore. Yeah, honestly, it doesn't surprise me anymore. It doesn't come as a shock to me. With FIFA and UEFA, we've seen in the last months, especially with the Super League, that when it comes to business, they're the first organisation to have the finger on the pulse straight away. When it comes to an issue such as racism, which should be dealt with with equal authority and equal consequences they're so slack they lack empathy on another scale and because it doesn't hurt them in the pocket quite like the super league or quite like for example if you cast your mind back to the euro 2012 when uh, nicholas bentner was fined a hundred thousand euros for displaying some paddy power boxes he was fined a hundred thousand euros for that in the same year uh, when Porto played Manchester City, the Porto fans were racially abusing Mario Balotelli for the m majority of the game, and they got fined 16,000. Uh, if you're going to set a precedent, you need to be consistent with it, but it just seems to me as though they've got their priorities all wrong. I mean, that was in 2012, and then when you come back to 2021, a good, uh, a good nine years since that incident you would think that an organization like UEFA and FIFA after all these reforms and all this corruption etc 
they would act with a little, little bit more decency and a little bit more professionalism. But it's just still the same. I mean, you go back to last month when England played Hungary and there was monkey chance from the crowd when uh, when England won their 4-0. But prior to that, uh, Hungary were ordered to play the next three UEFA matches without supporters after Euro 2020. I think they had some kind of racial issues in the crowd during the, during the tournament then. But the ban didn't come into effect until England played them. Oh, sorry, it didn't come in, into effect against England because it's a FIFA competition. And then that meant that there were 60,000 fans at the Puskas Arena booing England players for taking the knee. And that continued. And I just do not understand how you can have organisations like UEFA, like FIFA, who aren't, able to be, who aren't able to have some unity when it comes to a situation like racism. It's something that's so important to, you know, the players that represent their organisations, the faces of football. And it's so simple to address, yet they don't do it. They acknowledge it, but because it's not worth their resources and it's not worth them upsetting their friends in these different FA nations, they don't address it because it's not hurting their finances as much as as we saw with the Super League. As soon as that came out, within two days, you had statements from the UEFA president, the FIFA president, everything was, the governments were getting involved, etc, etc. When it comes to racism, it's just kind of something that they sweep under the carpet. And for me, when you've got these old men in the suits running these organizations who don't have a clue about what racism really is they've never experienced it they don't have the empathy to actually understand it and the willingness to actually deal with it it's not at the top of their priorities for me and they need in my opinion more of a diverse workforce at the top so the organizations can actually work with understanding what it actually is and why it's important to take it out because they're not able to come and unify together on something that's so important and it just sets a really really bad precedent for me and to be honest I'm really not surprised at all considering the way they've behaved in the last 15 years with all the corruption and bribery and it needs a total reform from the from the ground up and yeah it's, it's something that'll never go away but they can act as the big nation as the big organizations in football they're the ones who need to set the precedent and they just don't do it now, just to be clear on this, that there are no uh, allegations that there's any racism involved in the incident that, that uh, have meant that the fans are not allowed to travel to that game next week. But just to pick up on the point that you said there, you said uh, they, they were fined 16,000 for abusing Mario Telly. Uh, the fine for this is 35,000 euros, so twice that. And this is for objects being thrown. Now, West Ham are contesting this. However, by the sounds of things, they're not being given any right to appeal it. Now, those of you who have maybe only come into football during the Premier League may not know that before the Premier League uh, in the 80s, there was a period of five years where English clubs were banned from European competition for five years. Is this, is this a hangover to that, Marley? Is this sort of still in some people's minds... Um, clubs and fans are being viewed like this when they grow when they go abroad or actually is is this something that is a problem and we need to take care of it um it probably i mean it, it could be a bit of both um i do feel like the traveling english fans have 
uh, there is issues there. Um, I think you know they're they're not the most well behaved people. Um, there's a I think there's an arrogance in England that we are what we once were. Like you know we were formerly you know the the most powerful country in the world, and we had the hardest fans, and we go and beat up all the you know the fellow hooligans when when that was the sort of culture in football but it's it's not now um and we've seen it it was at euro 2016 when a bunch of england fans just got into fights with the russians and just got their heads kicked in and like some of them were was seriously injured and i think that sort of um that sort of like angle to football is is dying out now um but some people want to carry it on and some people say well you know well we're going to chuck things and we're going to throw uh, whether it's bottles or coins or uh, stadium furniture or whatever, um, and they deserve to be deserve to be um, punished for it as well. Um, but does does that precede them? Sometimes it it may do, but also if it if it if you have that thing of it might precede us and and we might get judged, you know, more harshly. Just don't do it in the first place. Like there's no need for it really. Um, I don't see why people would would go to a football match and think, you know what, I'm going to start a fight, I'm going to chuck a, chuck something at, uh, at, at rival fans. It's it's always baffled me about, about football fans in, in some respects, but it does happen um, and finds finds a, a, a fair play for it, I think. You know, if you're going to act like a knob, you're going to find, uh, your club's going to get fined and, you know, I do feel sorry for the fans that were, were looking forward to going to Vienna and watching the match, but, um, and now they've been they've been banned for going for it, uh, going to it as as West Ham fans. But it is what it is. If you're, you know, I know you, it's harsh to to judge everybody on the actions of a, a silly few, but that's how it's got to be, I think. So you know, that's that's just maybe, the, the the thing that comes with it. Maybe that's the right attitude though, because if you know that um, the guy that's next to you or the the woman in front of you. If she carries on doing what she's doing, then you're going to be banned from going to the next game. Does that make it more likely that through peer pressure, you're going to, you know, encourage them to to take a different approach? I I, I think we we've definitely seen no, although they have been very low fines. Um, we we talked about this a little bit earlier, Joel. You know, just fining people has not done anything to curb the problem of racism. I think that's pretty much universally agreed outside of these certain organizations but how do you, you know is there a solution when when these kinds of behaviors pop up you know what is what is the approach is is there do we need to be more extreme not just fines but do you need to say well that's it you're banned from the competition now um do the fines need to simply be a lot bigger is it a case of going okay you can play the rest of the season without any fans i mean i'm, I'm not sure what powers they have and how much they'll be able to put in but would that kind of stick work, or do you go more for a carrot where you go um, like like some kind of fair play award where the best behaved fans, you get a bonus for the club, or you provide education and training? Or is that... It, it, I mean, it, it, there's no obvious solution. If there's, if there's somebody in, in that fan base or a group within that fan base, and as as Marley pointed out it is dying out but it does tar the whole of football when something like this happens yeah you're always going to get idiots in every single fan base no matter how 
amazing a country is there's always going to be a group of individuals that ruin it for that well-behaved normal fans who just go to a game and actually go there with the right reasons um but i think for me fifa and uefa just need to be consistent with their punishments i think after the euro uh, sorry yeah the euro 2020 just gone I think after the behaviour of a lot of the English fans during that tournament, um, you know, where there was lots of kind of things thrown and it was very heavily publicised. And obviously that was a, a big minority, majority behaved perfectly. But of course, everyone tarnishes the whole fan base with the with the same brush. And obviously the, the, the reputation kind of goes from there a little bit, which I don't know if is kind, kind of influences UEFA's decision-making, which it shouldn't because like I said, consistency is key when it comes to punishment. And of course, if if you keep doing the same things uh, repeatedly and it's not getting the right results, it's insanity. And you need to kind of change your approach to that. Obviously, fines aren't working because the fines aren't going towards the fans. The fines are just going to the FAs. So it's not as if the fans are getting stung for their money. I'm not saying you need to find the fans, but... I, I don't have a solution here with me now to say this needs to be done because like I said you're always going to have this group of individuals that are going to games and doing the wrong things which are making the rest of the fans having to suffer for it I don't know if it's a case of like you said and in terms of incentivizing good behavior in, in a certain way or you know giving loyalty bonuses to get future tickets if all fans show like good behavior i don't know just something that allows fans to see that it's actually the right thing to do to behave it's quite crazy having to say that that you know it's almost like you're back in school again but that's the way that football is i'm, I'm glad it's kind of died out that kind of real hooliganism that we saw like 20 30 years ago but it's still an issue and obviously UEFA are very strict when it comes to kind of behaviour inside grounds. Um, it's probably why we probably won't get a World Cup in England for like the next 50 years. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that needs to be no tolerance alongside racism, which needs to be no tolerance. Um, and that's where yeah. consistency comes in. It needs to be very, very consistent. I think as well what's important is, is what, what whatever action is taken or whatever schemes or tactics they bring in you don't want to take the passion out of the sport you, you don't want to take that because that's part of it is that expression you want to be able to like express your frustration with your team your joy and uh for some reason you know that, that for some people that they turn to the point of being angry and, and throwing things and unless you remove everything in the stadium and increase security and stop people bringing objects in or increase the cost of everything in the in a football stadium which is already very expensive um that would certainly stop me from throwing anything if uh, even if it was uh if i got a fiver for bringing back my empty em empty bottle i would definitely bring it back rather than throwing that so i don't know the, 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 there's possible solutions out there but i i think i think there's more and more people having this conversation and to be fair, putting it back on the authorities, I'm not sure that it's something that they can solve on their own. It's something uh, as as a group moving forward. We're going to park that there for now. And uh, just uh, if there are any more developments on that, we will let you know. I know that West Ham are trying to get clarity on the exact reasons why. And um, they have assured that anybody that bought the tickets through the club will get a refund as soon as it's confirmed it's been 
those tickets have been cancelled. We're going to come back in a moment and talk about money. And when I say money, I mean a lot of money. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to part three of today's Football Social. We've already talked about the England thrashing of San Marino, uh, West Ham's fans being banned from travelling to their next Europa League game. And now we're talking about, and, and if we had the copyright, I would use the music from the Austin Powers film, $2 billion. Uh, that is the value of a deal estimated uh, that uh, the rights for Premier League games being shown in the USA could go for which is an incredible amount uh it would secure rights for the next six years which is obviously great for our u.s uh, listeners uh it means that you're going to be able to catch all the games uh, one of the reasons why it works well is the games don't often clash because of the timing difference that we have over here so they don't clash with other big events that are happening in the states and i suppose my question is what impact is this going to have is this going to uh Obviously, it's going to have a big impact on the pockets of the clubs within the Premier League because that money is going to filter down for them. But how much of that money is going to go elsewhere down the football pyramid? Does this also have an effect of making the Premier League the go-to place for football? Is it going to be that you're now having more and more young players growing up in the USA and Canada that are going to see the Premier League and be inspired by it and set that as their goal and their destination. Marley, you've got a lot of money. How do you feel? <laughs> I mean, well, I said two, two billion is pocket change to you these days. I, I honestly thought you meant me personally. And I was like, uh, no, don't really. <laughs> um, look, it, it's great, isn't it, for the Premier League? Um, two billion. It's hard to put into, like, it's hard to put into context how much that is like, and what it'll do for for the game but obviously it's good you know it's good for to get eyes on on the premier league as as far and wide as it can be you know there's the middle east deal is coming up again um to the tv rights deal over there um we've had the american deal obviously this isn't the first time they've bought the rights it's it's over there already and, and pulling in plenty of money um and now it's only going further north in terms of how much it's worth so it's great for the premier league to have that um, have that sort of discoverability it will hopefully we are seeing America get better at, at, uh, at football at soccer as they call it um, which is only it's only beneficial you've seen the likes of Pulisic come through now um, Alfonso Davis in, in Canada in, in a similar sort of um, vein that North American uh, talent pool is growing um, so yeah it's it's good for good for the Premier League Good for the everybody that that it will hopefully dribble down to, um, and even into the lower leagues and and all the way down the football pyramid. It can only be good for for uh, for everybody involved, really. So yeah, great. Good good little football pun there. I like that dribbling down the football pyramid. Hey. Very well done. Uh, yeah, can you see this smashing into the back of the net, then, Joel? What what's what, what do you think this this could do? Do you think we're going to see, as Molly said? more um more interest from america is this going to boost um the mls is this going to clash with the mls i mean obviously the the games will be on at different times um is this a real thing to celebrate for uh, u.s soccer fans 
I think it represents a massive shift um, in the States. I mean, I spoke to a lot of Americans and Canadians over the last two weeks that I know of, and I've never been so surprised at how much interest they now actually have in European football or soccer, as they say. Um, it's It seems as though the interest is growing and growing by the year, and I think that's kind of represented by how much this deal's worth. You know, $2 billion over six years, which is a long-term investment, and it's a big investment. Um, you know, for example, Disney, they just recently agreed $175 million a year to uh, La Liga across the ESPN's platforms. And as we know, Spanish football is nowhere near as popular as the Premier League. So I think that just shows how much investment these huge American stations are actually putting into the game to try and make it more accessible. But obviously, they're only doing that because they know that the demand is there. And obviously, in Amer in, a, in United States and in Canada, the interest in it is growing year on year. Of course, the smart people running these big stations and they know that putting this money in is going to be worthwhile for them. And I think when you look at, for example, as Marley said, you know, Alfonso Davis, who's the first Canadian Champions League winner, on face value, you'd say, okay, so it's a great achievement, but I think it represents way, way more, which is the fact that he's kind of now the go-to person who broke the deadlock for future Canadian footballers who can see it actually is possible. I don't think I would ever have thought 10 years ago that a Canadian footballer would be playing for Bayern Munich full stop, well, apart from maybe like Owen Hargreaves, um, which is slightly different, but... Um, I mean, you know, one that's... I mean, Owen Hargreaves couldn't make up whether he was German. Yeah, he was like, he has that weird so. kind of uh, Canadian-British-German mix, which, yeah, yeah, I don't think he even knows whereabouts he actually lies. But, I mean, in terms of like a real true born and bred, grew up there, Canadian to come in and become a major figure of that Bayern Munich side. And then obviously Christian Pulisic um, becoming the most expensive American footballer of all time. It represents a massive change. And I think with how much accessibility is now going to be given to the United States citizens in terms of the big promotion around it is going to be pumped in with way more money, um, way more accessibility. It, I think it's just going to increase the interest. And when you look at their population, which is huge, like 350 to 400 million people, if you're getting a lot of those people starting to develop an even bigger interest in the game and you've got all of these colleges that, you know, pumping a hell of a lot of money into their uh, basketball sides and their baseball sides. If they if the football over there, the soccer can slowly creep up close to those levels, I mean, they have a huge talent pool there with a population that size. And I, I, I can only see good things happening for the future in terms of way more Americans becoming some of the better players in Europe. Um, Canadians, some of them becoming way more better in Europe. And I think it represents a big, big change for the for American football as a whole. Obviously, it'll take time, but it's just I think there's just been a huge shift in terms of the attention of the American fan base, which is growing year on year. And I think it's just testament to the fact that how big this deal is worth and how long it's for just shows a long term investment, which can only be good for obviously the Premier League. Um, but also for American viewers as well. I think also it's worth noting that this is a multi-year deal and will cover up until and after the World Cup in 2026, Mexico, Canada, and of course the USA. So not only is it going to give a lot of more American soccer fans the chance to get into Premier League football, but then hopefully in that tournament the chance to see their idols playing at a stadium near them. But that's it for now. 
just leaves me time to say thank you to Joel Tudor. Thank you, thank you. And Marley Anderson. Cheers, guys. I've been Ant McGinley. This is the Football Social Daily. And like the title suggests, there'll be a brand new episode tomorrow. That one will be with Niall. See you then. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.